Ephesians because I believe in, in this, this book of Ephesians, it's this really good New Testament counterpart to that Old Testament book of Joshua. We see a lot of parallels between the two, between what was a physical uh, uh, I guess invasion or physical uh, uh, People, the, the people of Israel coming into their promised land and, and taking over the promised land as God helped them to do that. We see also the spiritual uh, a part of that that we live in today. Ephesians chapter 6 is where we're going to start. And we see this, these same battles and these same things that we face spiritually that they have, may have faced physically in the, in the flesh, these same, or those similar battles. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, says that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. See, our, our battle, our real battle is not down here. But rather, it says we wrestle against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world. So, our fights, our, our battle, this, this war that we are in is against spiritual wickedness that's in high places. See, the real battle is not down here. The real battle is not about how my car broke down this week or, you know, what, what does the devil really want to, you know, what does he really want with your car anyways? He doesn't need your car. He's not going to drive your car around. The devil he doesn't want your house. He doesn't want your bank account. He doesn't need all of that. Now, all that he can he can uh, you know affect affect some of this and cause things that may get you sidetracked and all this. But what the devil really wants is your faith, and that's where the real battle is at. is It's a battle over our faith, and so he will war on this high level of the spiritual wickedness in high places, and the symptoms of that battle we may see here on this planet earth down here on this level we may see some of the symptoms of that spiritual war that's going on so what i would really love for us to do is is to not get distracted by the symptoms of what we may face on a physical daily uh basis on, on the things that you may come up against. Don't get so sidetracked by those things that we forget about the spiritual war that's going on. Because there is a spiritual war that's, that's happening. That in the book of Ephesians, Paul, he says that you have to keep this in your mind so that you remember who the real enemy is. Now, that is Joshua's problem as well. That Joshua had to remember who the real enemy was. That the real enemy for Joshua, if you know this story of Joshua, as we go into this Old Testament, I'm going to bring us uh, in this Bible study tonight through this uh, 13th chapter of Joshua is where we're going to really focus in on. And Joshua, in this book, what he is doing is he's, he is claiming the land, the territory, that God had promised to his people all the way back to Abraham. And now we've come down hundreds of years. They had not lived in that land because they've been slaves in Egypt. They wandered around in the wilderness for 40 years. And finally, they're possessing that land. And, and that's where we had seen them, that they still had battles to fight. Just because it was the promised land that they were going into didn't mean that there weren't battles that they had to fight. Anybody believe that? Just because you're walking in the goodness of God and in the will of God doesn't mean that you're not going to face battles in your life, right? There's still going to be struggles that you have. There's still going to be things. Just because you run up against some challenges doesn't mean that you're not in the will of God. In fact, it probably means you are in the will of God. If things are too easy, there's no struggle in your life, then, then you're probably not really where God wants you to be. Because if you really are where God wants you to be, you're going to be running up against, against some resistance from the devil. There's going to be some things that are going on that, uh, that you're not going to enjoy. But I believe that God, he has, as long as he is with you, you are going to be an overcomer. And we are overcomers through him. Amen. So this 
13th chapter of Joshua, as I said, this is where we're going to focus our attention here tonight. Joshua here is beginning this next phase of conquest of his conquest of Canaan, of that promised land. He's already fought the battle of Jericho, this famous battle or the march around the walls. He's already lost the battle of Ai and then gone back and conquered Ai uh, after they took care of the sin that was in the camp. But now they're going on to this next phase of their conquest. And the Bible says, uh, it's in Joshua chapter 13, verse 1. It says, Now Joshua was old and stricken in years. And the Lord said to him, Thou art old and stricken in years. Very straightforward word from God. God is telling Joshua, I see you, you're old. But get this, here's what God really is saying to him. Is I don't care how old you are. It doesn't matter how old you feel. It doesn't matter uh, how long you've been living for me. Because read the rest of the verse. There remaineth yet very much land to be possessed. So he's saying, Joshua, don't you fold your arms and say that you are done. Because there is still more territory that I want you to take. And I wanted to say that tonight. To us here that it doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter what age you are. There is still something more that God has for you. I have my my 90 year old grandfather here tonight. And I, I believe that God still has things that he wants to do through you. That God still has plans for your life. And now for Joshua, now that the land has been conquered, the next 10 chapters of this book, from chapters 13 through chapters 22, which is a good chunk of the book of Joshua, these, these chapters, they detail exactly how Joshua is going to divide up the land. And each clan is going to move in to claim their inheritance. And in these next 10 chapters, the word inheritance is found over 50 times in this book. Over 50 times. So the Jews, they have inherited the land and they, they couldn't have moved in and conquered it if it wasn't, if it hadn't have been for the Lord. But now God is going to lease this land to them. This was an inheritance. This was God's land that He's saying, I'm giving this to you. See, way back when they were still wandering in the wilderness, we read as, it's in Leviticus chapter 25, verse 23. It says that the land shall not be sold forever. For the land, get this, the land, it isn't yours. The land, he said, it's mine. This is God speaking. That the land is mine. You are just strangers and sojourners with me. Now when you, even right now, you're walking in this wilderness, but I'm bringing you to a promised land. And God says, that land that you're going to move into that place of inheritance, that land is my land. And you're going to be strangers even in that land, but I'm going to give it to you. See, if I were to put this in modern terms, the Lord is saying you can't sell the land because you didn't buy it. You didn't, you didn't really own the land. I gave this to you. I gave you this. You're, you are my tenants who are living there. You're leasing this land from me. And so how do we pay the rent? How, how, how are they paying the rent here? God, he would have told the people that the rent that I require is the obedience to my law. That as you live here in this land that I'm giving you, I, I, I want you to live for me and serve me and be obedient to the law that I have for you. And if you will keep my law for, first and foremost, then you can live in the promises that I have for you. And, and you're going to see this land. It's going to be the best place that you could ever live. It's a land, as they described it, as flowing with milk and honey. In other words, this is the most abundant land that they could go to. And God was going to give this to them. So here's what God is saying. He said, this land, it's mine. It's, it, and your life is mine. Now there's a parallel to that in the New Testament. It's almost exactly that same, that same phrase. It's in the book of Colossians chapter 3. He says, knowing that of the Lord, you shall receive the reward of the inheritance. Somebody say inheritance. It says, for you serve the Lord Christ. You're going to receive 
the inheritance. You are going to receive a life where I am blessing you while you're living here on this earth, but also a heavenly inheritance, the one that we were just singing about, that one day I'll fly away and I'm going to live with him in glory. And I'm so thankful that we have that promise. But he says, this inheritance, the reward of your inheritance is going to come when you serve the Lord Christ. So like Israel, we keep God's laws. Not because we're scared of going to hell and not because I'm trying to merit something from God or like getting on God's good side. But I, I do it because God is so good to me and he's already paid the price for the inheritance. He's already laid down his life for the inheritance. Just like he said, the land that they were moving into was a land that belonged to him. The inheritance that we are, that we have promised us is a land that he's already paid the price for. And so in the New Testament, God would say that the kingdom is mine and also your life is mine. So I want you to live like that. Live like you belong to me. I think that's such an important concept for us as Christians to understand is that my life doesn't really belong to me. As a Christian, my life belongs to Christ because he paid for me. He paid the price for me, for my inheritance that I'm going to receive. So I want to get back, I want to get back into this book of Joshua. If we get back, go way back when they were wandering around in the wilderness, God spoke to them about something very important. That when they were going to divide up the land, and this is something that, that I've been, I've been drawn to for a long time for some reason in my, as I study the Old Testament, read through the Old Testament, I don't know exactly why it intrigues me so much. But there's this principle, this concept that God wanted to teach his people. And way back when they were wandering in the wilderness, God spoke to Israel. It's in Numbers chapter 35, verse 11. And he said this to them. That you shall appoint you cities to be cities of refuge for you. Cities of refuge. I was going to point to Brother Rex. Uh, he's, he's at the choir practice tonight. But we were just talking in Bible study uh, about these cities of refuge. But these cities of refuge, he says, I want you to appoint them that the slayer may flee thither, which killeth any person at unawares. And then again, when Joshua starts dividing up the land, God reminds him of that instruction. He says here in Joshua 20, verse 2, he says, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, Appoint you out for you cities of refuge, whereof I spake unto you by the hand of Moses. Can I get you know, just uh, some hands raised? If anybody's ever heard of these cities of refuge... Anybody ever heard of the city's refuge? Okay. We're going to dive into this tonight about these cities of refuge and what they mean in Scripture and how we can even apply or see how God is, is laying a, a foundation for a, a principle in this Old Testament, uh, dividing up the land to the children of Israel as they come into their, their promised land and how we have a similar a uh, similar city of refuge that we can come to. So this here, imagine Joshua. He has these millions of people that he's dividing up the land and he, he's given them to their, their different tribes that they belong to. You you go over to this side of the uh, the Jordan River and you go, you're go. you on this side and you're up north and you're down south. And he, he goes and he's, he's dividing up all of this land. And, and as he does so, he, he, he points to several cities along this... Or, within this region. And he says, these certain cities are going to be cities of refuge. And if you, to define that, what, what they're for is that if you were to put somebody to death, if you were to murder them, it doesn't matter where you are, you are going to be put to death if you murder them. Okay? There's justice in that sense. If you intentionally murder somebody, you are going to have to pay the consequence for your action. This was uh, a life for a life. That was the law of Moses. But if you accidentally kill someone, if there is something that happens, some accident that takes place, and you accidentally take the life of, of some individual, 
God said that when you get into the land, I'm going to appoint to you a place where you can go, a place that you can flee to. And doing that ends up falling upon Joshua as he's dividing up this land to appoint these different cities of refuge. Now, if we can go back to the scripture in Numbers where it speaks of these cities of refuge, uh, God gets very specific when he's speaking to Moses about these cities. God said this, Numbers 35, verse 6. He says, Among the cities which you shall give unto the Levites, there shall be six cities for refuge, which you shall appoint for the manslayer. That would be the person who accidentally kills somebody. That he may flee thither, and to them you shall add forty and two cities. So here is what God said before they ever got to the promised land. He said, this is for the Levites. The Levites, they don't inherit territory. They don't, they're not going to get some big place of land because these are the priests. We need to spread them out throughout all of our regions so that they can, um, they can help us with our sacrifices, everything that we need to do to please God. But out of these cities that are given to the Levites, six of them are going to be special cities of refuge. And he said, Joshua, you're going to appoint them. And these will be cities for the people who they commit manslaughter, the ones who accidentally kill someone else. And they're going to be able to flee to those six cities. So now all throughout the Old Testament, God, he makes a separation between people who commit murder and people who accidentally commit manslaughter. And that carries over into the New Testament as well. We're not going to dive into all of that necessarily, but these six cities of refuge were needed. Let me explain this because in ancient times, in the ancient society, there was no police force to go and investigate these crimes. In other words, there was no official organization to go and investigate once somebody was killed. So it was the responsibility of each family to see to it that if you murder someone in our family, that then we're going to send an avenger and, and to take care of business. This person was, they were known as the avenger, uh, yeah, avenger of blood. Now there's only one problem with that. How could you, how could they tell if it was a case of premeditated murder or accidental manslaughter? And now we're human. So we understand how this might work, that in the heat of the moment, it'd be very possible for the relative of that person who was killed to go and to kill somebody who was not actually guilty of murder. They might go and they would chase after somebody who actually should not have to pay the price for what they did. And so that person, they could be completely innocent of a capital crime, but... You know, maybe they dropped a tool. They're working on the, on the roof of a building and they dropped a tool off the roof and it hit somebody on the head and, and killed them. And, you know, this is an accident. They didn't mean to do this. It wasn't murder. But that, that, that family member that wants to go and, and revenge the blood of that person, they're going to come after them or they might come after them. And this is why these cities of refuge existed. The law of the cities of refuge, it was very simple, but it's very powerful. That anybody who killed another person, they could flee to a city of refuge and they could be re- protected from that avenger of blood. And that's why, that, that is what the family member who was, was seeking that, that, that revenge, that's what they were called, the avenger of blood. And they could, so the, they could go and, and you would run to this city of refuge. You would get there and you're protected. As long as you stay inside the city, you are safe. That person who's coming after you to, uh, to, to make you pay the price for, for killing their family member. They can't come after you as long as you're in this city. You'd, you'd have to go. As soon as you got there, there was a judge that was there. They would hear, hear out your case. And as long as, as, long as it was, uh, you know, it happened as, as they said it did and, and it wasn't murder, then you're allowed to live there in the city as long as you want. You live Within the city. And then. Upon the death of the high priest. Who was in the office at the time of the the accident. That fugitive. Could once again return home safely. So he had to live within the city. But if he left the city. As soon as he stepped outside the city. His life was now in his hands. He wasn't protected anymore. He had to live inside the city. In order for to have that protection. So here's what happened. 
and I, this is so awesome, that the fugitive forfeited some of his freedom in order to save all of his life. He gave up a little bit of his freedom. He had to live in this one city. He couldn't venture out out into the countryside whenever he felt like it. He, he had to forfeit some freedom. But in forfeiting a little bit of freedom, he saved his life. And here's the passage in the book of Joshua. It's in this passage where, or this, this section where Joshua is dividing up the land. It's in Joshua chapter 20, verse, verses 1 through 6. A little lengthy here, but begins dividing up this land, appointing these cities of refuge. Beginning in verse 1, it says that the Lord, he also spake to Joshua and saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, Appoint out for you cities of refuge, whereof I spake unto you by the hand, hand of Moses. Says that I told Moses this, uh, this way before you ever enter into this land. Verse 3, that the slayer that killeth any person unawares and unwittingly may flee thither. And they shall be your refuge from the avenger of blood. And when he that doth flee unto one of these cities shall stand at the entering of the gate of the city, he shall declare his cause in the ears of the elders of that city. And they shall take him into the city unto them and give him a place that he may dwell among them. And if the avenger of blood pursue after him, then they shall not deliver the slayer up into his hand because he was innocent. He he smote his neighbor unwittingly and he hated him not beforehand, before time. So this wasn't premeditated. Verse six, and he shall dwell in that city until he stand before the congregation for judgment and until the death of the high priest that shall be in those days. And then... Once that high priest dies, the, the slayer, he shall return and come to his own city. So when the high priest dies, then he can return to his only, to the city where he, the rest of his family's at, where he grew up. And, but then, and only then, only once the high priest died, and unto this, un, unto his own house, unto the city from whence he fled. Now you say, this is really neat. At least I did. This is, uh, when I, when I study this, I just, I'm trying to imagine this is, this is really a, a cool concept, but really what does this have to do with us? And I know you came to Bible study tonight really asking that question. You know, how, how can I, how can I apply this scripture to my life? And here's the thing, the Bible, as well as many of the ancient writings of the Jewish people, gives us some incredible, beautiful details of these cities of refuge that that we can see them begin to play out in our own life. See, these cities of refuge, as we dive into where, where we see these placed, and we see the, uh, the, these other uh, ancient literature talking about these cities, we see, first of all, that the cities of refuge were to be located in central places. Can you, we have a map of these cities. Could you throw that up there? There we go. You see these Cities, this, this region here, it's, it's the, the land where they, were, where they were given, the stars. Those are the, the six cities of refuge. And you see there's a, a great big river that heads up the, uh, it's right down the middle. It's the Jordan River. And so there's three of these cities that are on the east side and three of them on the west side of that Jordan River so that anybody could always get to a city. And so this is always going to be somewhere where you could reach it easily. No matter where, where you were at in the country. It didn't mean it wasn't going to be a long trek, a long journey. But wherever you are in Israel, you'll notice that it was, it was one day's journey. It was no further than 32 miles of walking, which was in that day considered one day's journey, to get to the closest city of refuge. See, Israel, this country, it's about the size of the state of Maryland. Quite small. And so you can understand that with six of these cities spread out throughout the country, wherever you were at, it was pretty easy to get to one of these cities. Some of these cities, they were set high up on a mountaintop. That was done purposefully so that they could see them from a distance. You could see the city that you were trying to get to. And and the point was that they were to be easily accessible. Every one of these cities, not, not only were they to be seen and fairly easily, easily accessible, but they were also to be set in locations that could be reached in a reasonable amount of time. Because if someone 
killed another person on accident, then they would have to get to that city of refuge as quickly as possible before that avenger of blood would get to them. But it wasn't just that they were close, and it wasn't just that they were visible, but they were also accessible. If you read the book of Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 3, I have this in the amplified version here. It says that you shall prepare and maintain for yourself the roads, these roads to these cities, and divide the territory of your land into three parts so that anyone who kills another unintentionally may escape there for asylum. If you dive into this just a little further in, in study of the, the Mishnah, which is that oral law that was given to the, the Jews alongside this, this scripture of the Torah, According to the Jewish encyclopedia, it says that all of the roads leading to the cities of refuge were double the width of any other road in Israel. Every other road, the law says it was required to be eight cubits or eight cubits wide, but any of these uh, or eight or 16 cubits wide, but any road that was going to the city of refuge, it was required that it had to be 32 cubits in width. See, those roads, they were to be carefully maintained. Every spring, they would check every single mile of that road, and they would carefully repair that road. They would make sure that there were no areas that had been washed out, or that had any trees that fell on them, blocking the way, any debris that fell upon the road. In constructing these roads, they would raise up the valleys and the ravines and they would fill them in with dirt in order to make the travel much easier as you're getting to the city of refuge. They would, they would make sure that there were bridges that were built over any river or any stream that was in the way. See, the point was they were creating the shortest, the fastest, and the most direct route to the city of refuge. In addition... Because in your travels, there are times that you're going to come up against crossroads. The, the road, it might part, go different, different ways. The law stated, I believe we have this here in the Jewish encyclopedia, that the law stated that the roads leading to the cities of refuge had to be marked by signposts at the crossroads with the inscription, refuge. So the roads, they had to be marked clearly saying, this is how you get to the place of refuge. This is the way that you're going to go. These roads, they had to be smooth. They had to be uh, not hindered in any way. These signs, uh, these signs that were there on these uh, crossroads, they were very large signs. They were easily noticed. They all had on them these two things, this arrow that was pointing them to the correct path and what this one word, refuge, on it. So if you wanted refuge, all that you had to do was to follow that sign, follow that arrow. Some writers even state that as Israel adopted uh, into their, their homeland of Canaan, uh, and as these roads were being built to the six cities of refuge for people, they even state that later on they put runners or they put people that were there that would help you along the city or along the road to get to the city of refuge. They would accompany you as you're fleeing to get to that place of refuge. The Jewish encyclopedia called, uh, refers to them, uh, calls them the runners that were placed along the road. Now you'd better believe that those who were fleeing to the cities of refuge, they were moving quickly. They didn't want to get caught by the avenger of blood. They didn't want to be put to death on their way to the city. And so these trained runners were there. And, and they weren't just ordinary runners. But these runners, they were skilled in the law of God. And this is why they were not just referred to as runners, but also as scholars. And these scholars, they were stationed there in places along the road. Uh, and, and, and as they were running with them, they were they were helping them and in, in, in uh, uh, speaking the word of God as they ran alongside them. The Bible it says in chapter 20, as God is giving Joshua this instruction, it says, he says, I, I want you to make these cities of refuge and I want you to know that they are for whosoever. These are open to whosoever. That the Israelites, they can come into the city of refuge. But not only the Israelites, whosoever. 
You don't have to be an Israelite in order to gain entrance into the city of refuge. There may be a stranger that comes in. And that stranger needs to seek refuge as they're there in that land of, of Israel. And God says, I want you to make sure that this is open to anybody. Anybody who needs it is able to come in and, and to, and to uh, take refuge in these cities while they are here in Israel. So the sojourner who's just passing, just passing through the land, they can come in. They can get refuge in one of these six cities of refuge. I know I'm laying out all these details. That there's, there's just one more. That the gates of these cities were always left open. That most cities, they would lock their gates at night. But Matthew Henry in his, in his commentary on Numbers chapter 35, he says that these, these cities, they left their gates open night and day. Because otherwise, a fugitive who arrived at night might be banging on the gates saying, let me in, let me in. And that avenger of blood may get to him right as he gets to the gate. So instead of closing the gates at night, they would leave them open all hours of the day, all hours of the night. So each of these six cities of refuge, they had all of the accommodations inside of them that were needed to house these fugitives. We already read it, how it says they would come in there and the elders would get them and they'd bring them to a place, to a house. It was, it was a house that was stocked with extra food. It had all the provisions that they needed. They were ready for people to come in and find refuge there. Every one of these cities was a completely sufficient refuge. Not only did it provide protection for the avenger of blood, but it was able to meet their needs for the rest of their life. Because that was how long he was going to live there unless the high priest died before him. So there was no other hope for a fugitive except to find your way as quickly as possible to that city of refuge. So here they are. They get there. Now, I know tonight we got some Bible lovers, some Bible readers here tonight, and that's why you're here in Bible study. But obviously, you already know that the cities of refuge, they contain some very incredible and beautiful, powerful parallels to us today, not just to Jesus Christ, but to Christ and his church. I believe that the church of Jesus Christ, that this is a city of refuge and what Christ and the church have done for each one of us. I'm so thankful that I have a place of refuge that I was able to come to. And that when I was lost in my sin, when I was lost in a place where, where I had, uh, where, where I had every opportunity to, uh, to just keep on running down the same path that I, that I was and, and you can keep on walking in sin, but, but I'm thankful that there was a city of refuge, God and His church. I'm thankful that Jesus Christ would draw me in to the place of refuge. I'm thankful for a church that would welcome me in and say, you belong here. You belong here in the city. See, this is emphasized in the New Testament. The writer of the book of Hebrews, he says, it's in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 18. He says that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie. Two things. First he said it, then he made an oath. He says, that we might have a strong consolation or a strong comfort who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope that's set before us. See, when the writer of Hebrews uses that word refuge, he uses the same exact word. It's in the Greek language. We, we read it in the English here, but it's the same word that's used in the Hebrew language to indicate the cities of refuge. The phrase that he uses here is Catafuego, uh, which is pointing to a place or a person where refuge can be found. And he said, saying to us, you, you New Testament Christian, you need to know something. That when you found Jesus, saying to me, but when you found Jesus, you found more than just a religious figure. I didn't just find some religion. He's saying, he, he's saying to us that, that you're going to, uh, when, when you come, it's not just going to be a place where you're going to get some comfort every once in a while. No, here's what you found. You found a refuge from the avenger of blood. He says, there was somebody that was on your trail. Well, anybody ever lived that life, you know. There's somebody that was on your trail, that Lucifer was on your trail, the devil, the devourer. He, he was coming after you for so long. 
And he's got all kinds of names in scripture, but he only has one purpose. And that purpose is to destroy your life. He wants you to to, to be taken with him forever into the pit of hell. But thank God that we were sensible enough, that we were early enough, that we got there before the rapture took place. And we, we would get there before we died, that we fled for refuge and we grabbed a hold of the hope that is before us. I'm thankful that I made it to the place of refuge. I'm thankful that you're here tonight in a place of refuge before the devil, before he rips you away. It says, no, you never, you didn't make it there. No, I'm thankful that I'm in the place where refuge is found. And it's not just by walking in to a church building. It's by getting a hold of Jesus. That's where the refuge is. I'm thankful for a church building where I can come, but I need to get a hold of Jesus because Jesus is the one who is the source of my refuge. And I don't know about you, but I'm thankful for the price that was paid back on Calvary many years ago. And I'm thankful that it wasn't just Calvary in a book that he gave us to read. That we can have this today. And I'm thankful for it. But he also gave us a church. And his church preaches about what happened on Calvary. And his church points the way to the place of refuge. And that's so important. I thank God for Calvary. But I thank God for the church too. Because if it wasn't for the church, most of us would never have heard about Calvary. And so the writer of Hebrews, he goes on to say in verse 19, he says, Which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which endureth into that within the veil. In other words, he's saying it's embedded in these heavenly things. It's, it's in this powerful biblical truth that I'm laying out for you. It says, Whether the forerunner is for us entered even Jesus, who was made a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Man, we could dive into this order of Melchizedek and all of that, but we're not going to tonight. But in our New Testament plan of salvation, the gospel which the church preaches, it is so absolutely incredible. And there's so many parallels to that Old Testament city of refuge that was there. And first of all, the church... Is to be located in an easy place to reach. We're not supposed to make this difficult. Anybody who comes in the door, we're not supposed to, to give them a list of rules before you go get through the foyer and into a sanctuary. No, we're supposed to make this as easy as possible. I'm thankful that anybody's welcome here. This is what I'll try to do is, is, is to set a, a culture within our church that anybody could feel comfortable coming into this place of worship. Let's make it easy. You know, we, we have a lifetime to teach people how to, how to live for God. And there's, there's, there are things. It's not to say that God doesn't require things of us because God does require things of us. There are things that, that we will stop doing as we live for God. But when we first come and we make entrance into, into a place, into this place, anybody's welcome. That's that's what they need the first time that they walk through the door. The first time that they come through is just to, to be able to hear the message of the cross and the love of the church and the love of Jesus Christ. That's what we need to hear. So we've got we got time. We have we have time to to continue on and to be formed into the you know formed in the the process of, of maturity and and becoming who God has called us to be. But we've got to have patience as we walk with people down that road of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. So as you drive down US 6, you may just see a building that's sitting here at 609 Patty Lane. But to a lost soul, this is a city of refuge. And it's kind of unique. We are set on a physical hill, but... Hopefully we are set on a different kind of hill as well. And we need to make this open, easy, accessible to everybody. And that's why that's one reason that we engage in evangelism. And I believe that we ought to be evangelists of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why we teach Bible studies. That's why we reach for souls. That's why we, we preach sermons. That's why we, we have youth ministry and, and our, our Sunday school ministries and, and, and uh, kids ministries that are happening on Wednesday nights because we're trying to make this gospel easy and accessible to people. And I, I think it's incredible when the church has the vision 
to make the road to the city as wide as possible. It's a wonderful thing when you have a church that has a heart for the community. It's a wonderful thing when we are cautious and we are repairing those roads and we're, we're always, we're always careful that our witness, that our testimony, that our, our words, our actions, that they don't ever impede the road so that someone else doesn't get here. I want my testimony to be right. I want my testimony to be one that makes it easy, that, that would, in fact, draw somebody to come into the city of refuge. I want my words and my actions not to hinder somebody from getting to, to Jesus, but I want my words and my actions to draw somebody to Jesus. See, my life needs to be helping them go along the road. Don't, don't wash that road out because they don't have confidence in what you, what you said or what you've done. See, we all have a part to play in making sure that the roads are passable, that the roads are easy for someone else to get to Jesus, to get to the place of refuge. Oh, by the way, you are the sign. The sign that's there at the crossroads that's pointing this way to the city of refuge. You are the sign. I'm the sign. We are the sign that's pointing to the city of refuge. I'm thankful that, that God has given me a responsibility to go and to make disciples, to go and to point people to the place of truth, to point people to, to Jesus Christ. To say, hey, there is a better way that we can live. There is something that you can do to, uh, to, to get past all the struggles, all the things that you've been, been having to carry all your life. Jesus, he wants to give you life and life more abundant. Also, you're one of the runners. You can run alongside somebody that's in trouble. When their life is a mess. When they're bound by all kinds of things, you can run alongside them and say, like Paul said, as you follow me, or it says, come and follow me as I follow Christ. I'll point you to the way to the city of refuge. Come with me. Come with me to a prayer meeting. Come with me as I follow Jesus. Come. I'm not, I'm not promising that I'm perfect. I'm not promising that I'm not going to trip up, but follow me as I follow Christ. So you're one of those runners, and you don't have to be an expert in every scripture of the Bible, but you do need to know that my story is that once I was blind, but now I see. That once I was lost, but now I'm found. That once I was on my way to hell, but today I'm on my way to heaven because I found the city of refuge. Come on, you can tell your story about how Jesus picked you up. Come on, that, that the road, it's easy. That the road, it's open. You don't have to worry. You don't have to worry that you're going to get to church and the doors are going to be locked because we don't like your kind here. No. The doors are always open. The gates are never barred. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you've been. You can make your way into the church, into the city of refuge, and you can find Jesus. You can find him. Come on. I'm thankful. I'm so thankful that I have what, that I have this life-saving message, this city, this, this place of refuge that I can cling to, but I want to tell somebody else, you can do it too. Jesus came for you too. Hmm. There's such power in the gospel message. And if it can change my life, I promise it could change your life. It could change anyone's life. So I've got some news. That no, not only is this city open for whosoever, but this city, it has provisions for you. In other words, we have, we have what it's going to take to, to help you, to sustain you. That in the city, in the church, that you, we've got room for you in this church. I know we have a bunch of, bunch of guys that are here tonight, maybe for the very first time. I know a couple of you have um, been here a few times, but I want you to know that this is a place that you can belong. I'm so thankful that you're here. I'm so thankful that everybody who's, who's here tonight, that you're here. We've got room for you in this church. See, the Bible, it has food for you. 
that can sustain you the rest of your life. It's called the bread of life. This is the bread of life. It can sustain you. That's what Jesus was saying when he was out. He was fasting in the wilderness for 40 days. And he was tempted of the devil that said, can't you make this stone into some bread? And Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. That this can sustain you. Even more than food can sustain you, the word of God can sustain you. So it's not just that you're protected here. It's that you are going to be provided for here. The Lord is not going to pick you up out of sin and then just drop the ball, fumble the ball. No, he didn't start a work in you. He didn't put you down a path of restoration not to finish the work that he started. God wants to finish the work. He wants to provide for you every need. Everything that, again, like I said earlier, doesn't mean that we're not going to run up against struggles and we're going to fight, fight some battles in our life. But I've got to tell you that there is no other hope like the hope that's in Jesus Christ. And if you give your life to Jesus, if you obey the gospel, if you become part of the body of Christ, I promise you that you have a hope that's waiting for you, a place of refuge that it's, it's talked about, it's promised to us that it's not just here on this earth, but it's a, it's a place that is far beyond here, that it's a place of glory where Jesus Christ is sitting upon the throne. You can have part, part in that. See, and as long as you stay in the city, as long as you stay in the city, you're safe. As long as you don't venture out, you're safe. When the devil comes looking for you, and he comes looking to take you to hell and to take your life, he has to look another way because this is what's going to happen. He's going to say, wait a minute, I can't go in there. I don't have access to this one because he's in the church. I don't have access to this one because he has the blood of Jesus on his life. He has the blood of Jesus that's on his life. I love that old phrase, to plead the blood of Jesus. If you understand that, I know I've said it many times from this platform, but uh, to, to plead the blood of Jesus is not begging for Jesus to come and to help you. It's a legal term. To plead the blood of Jesus. Just like you make a plea in a courtroom. What happens when you plead the blood of Jesus? It's just like what, uh, it's just like you're in the courtroom of heaven. And when Satan's coming against you with some charge, or he's coming against you with some, something that you've done, you can plead the blood of Jesus saying, no, 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 no. I had Jesus who died for my sins. I had Jesus who already forgave me of everything in my past. You can't bring up my past because he's already forgiven me of my past. So I'm going to plead that right now and to tell you that what you're saying against me it is a false accusation because Jesus already took care of that charge that, so I plead the blood of Jesus when when he starts to pry to, when, when Satan starts to pry to pull you back into your old ways or old things you say no 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 I'm not going back there because Jesus he gave his life for me and I am so thankful for it and I have a hope and a future because Jesus wiped my record clean he wiped my record clean and so I can go forward in knowing that Jesus already paid the price and that I have a hope and a future. Well, I know we got, I know you folks, you guys got to take off here at 8 o'clock. So I want to wrap up here tonight. So let's not venture outside of the city. Let's not venture outside. You, you couldn't give me a billion dollars to venture outside of the church of Jesus Christ. Because this right here is worth more than any money that, could, that, that I could ever have here. So there's not a moment to spare. You, first of all, you've got to get your life into the city of refuge. You've got to get a hold of Jesus. You've got to get inside the church. That's life or death. And then second of all, once you're in, don't venture out. Don't step away. And just this last, one more thing to tell you. That's in the Old Testament, the city of refuge. It was only for the innocent. That if you were actually guilty of murder... And you couldn't, you could run to the city of refuge, but when you tried to plead your case, you were found guilty and you'd be put to death anyways. That was in the Old Testament, that city of refuge. It was only for the innocent. But in the New Testament, Jesus, He isn't just a refuge for the good. 
and for the innocent or for the religious. Jesus is a refuge for the guilty. He's a refuge for the sinful. He's a refuge for the perverted. Jesus is a refuge for absolutely anybody. He says, while you were yet sinners, Christ died for me. See, you were allowed to be free. You were allowed to be free once the high priest died. But the good news is that our high priest has already paid the price and he's already died. So you've already been freed. He also came back from the dead and now he lives forevermore. And so in the New Testament, a city of refuge isn't just about being free. It's about living life in that Doing so more abundantly. See, Satan, he is the ultimate avenger of blood because he doesn't just want your physical life. He wants your eternal life. And he wants you to spend eternity in torment. But this avenger of blood, he cannot touch you as long as you remain in Christ Jesus. And while the Old Testament, I'll close it with these next two scriptures. While the Old Testament, it points to six cities of refuge. The New Testament mentions two more. Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. It says, you are the light of the world. He's talking to the church here. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. That it is our job to be this, to be the light of the world, that we are to be a city that is set on a hill so that everybody can find the gospel and everybody can find Jesus. And the church is the seventh city of refuge. Or that, that church is the seventh city, but the eighth city is found in Revelation chapter 21, verse 2. It says, And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride that was adorned for her husband. Talk about a city of refuge. When you get to heaven, devil, he can't do nothing. There, there is nothing at that point. Because once you enter those pearly gates and those snap tight behind you, you are safe in God's eternal city of refuge for all eternity. So you have these six Old Testament cities of refuge and these two New Testament cities of refuge. And I'm thankful to belong to this city of refuge, this church here on earth. But I'm thrilled to be heading to that eternal city of refuge, that new Jerusalem. And Jesus, he is coming soon to rapture the church and to welcome his church home to that ultimate city of refuge. And I think here tonight it's worth standing, if we could, just all stand in this place. I think it's worth lifting up our hands.